Father, we come to you this morning giving you our praises. We come giving thanks for all the good gifts that you have given us um, for our families. Um, We come giving you thanks for our church family. We come giving you thanks for the very life that we have itself. Uh, We come praying you would uh, be with us this morning, that you would help us to worship and help us to experience you and to to hear your voice and be transformed. Um, We give you thanks for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. And we pray that we would be able to respond to Jesus' love for us um, by following him and by loving him. And uh, we know that it would take your spirit to do that. And so we pray that your spirit would come and would speak to us and move in us this morning. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that we pray these things. Amen. Well, good morning. It is Big Church Sunday, so we want to welcome our kiddos to service here this morning. I got a question for everyone. Who has been to McDonald's? Anyone ever been to McDonald's? A few of us? All right. Apparently, I just learned this. One in eight Americans has actually worked at McDonald's. Um, so we won't raise our hands for that. Uh, might be a traumatic experience. I don't know. Um, McDonald's is a, uh, a big part of our life and the world's life. So apparently every day, I'm full of McDonald's statistics today, guys, so don't get me started. Every day, McDonald's feeds 1% of the world's population. Um, and I learned all these things because I like to watch movies. Have you, have you seen the, the Founder movie, the movie about McDonald's and the story of how it got started? Uh, it's fairly interesting. It's an okay movie. The story behind it is a lot more interesting. Apparently, one guy kind of co-opted these two brothers who started the idea of McDonald's, and he franchised it and, and made it go worldwide. Um, but it is interesting. McDonald's itself is interesting in how it's transformed our world. We live in a McDonald's world, um, much more than maybe we know. Sometimes it's easy to, to, to not realize how different our world today is from just 100 years ago or 200 years ago or especially 2,000 years ago to Jesus' world. Um, we live in a world where food is prepared for us fast, where food is prepared for us, in quotes, quality, right? But you get the same experience, at least, uh, at all times. And where food is given to us regularly. Um, we have snacks often. Um, and this is actually kind of an idea that the McDonald brothers came up with. Um, this was their kind of idea that transformed Western civilization. Um, there's a term for this uh, in... in um, kind of more philosophical circles, the McDonaldization of the world. Um, and what this is referring to is, so what McDonald's did that was mind-blowing, right, is in a world of food that was drive-in, they said this is not very cost-efficient. The people, they come, they sit there, it takes forever. You have to have people to go and get them their food. Inherently, the more people that are involved in customer service, the more customers will be dissatisfied. And so they said, what if we had people serve themselves? What if we took away plates and things of like that and just had them eat paper out of, out of paper and throw it away? And then what if we automized everything, automated everything? And so every burger was the same exact experience. Um, and then we franchised it all over the place. Um, and they did it. It was wildly successful. And without us sometimes knowing, actually the whole world has followed suit. Um, and so businesses do this. Um, uh, in fact, churches do this. We talked about this maybe a while ago about the McDonaldization of churches. And obviously there's some benefits to this, but there are some um, downsides as well. So churches will franchise themselves, basically, right? Churches will go build themselves another church. And it's the exact same thing as their church. 
There's no room for creativity. Why? Because they know how it works. Our system works. Our values work. Our personalities work. And so you're just going to transplant over that. Um, one of the biggest ways you can see McDonald's in the church is if you've ever been to a church or any type of event where they had the individual communion um, with the little cup of juice and a little cracker on top, and it's got it's like sealed shut styrofoam, right? This is your self-serve, right? Everyone gets the exact same product. Take it to your seat. Take it home. Whatever you want to do with it. As soon as you're done with it, you can just throw it away. It doesn't involve human people, right? It doesn't involve a lot of prep. We can get machines to do this and create it and make it the exact same. Um, we live in a world with lots of McDonald's. Um, and we know now, right, scientists, some of the meals we eat have been scientifically kind of engineered to make us want to eat more, um, to actually keep us from feeling full from the food that we've eaten. And you can watch disease rates climb with how McDonald's spreads and, and restaurants like them and diet uh, habits like that. Um, but it was way different in the Middle Ages, just a few hundred years ago. Um, you didn't have food available that often. People weren't trained to want food that often. They didn't get it that easy. Um, in Jesus' world, it was much, much more different. Um, we talked last week about the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray for our daily bread. As Michelle mentioned last week, doing an excellent job preaching for me, I appreciate her stepping in, um, that when they prayed that prayer, right, there wasn't a euphemism for them. They were actually asking God, can we have food today? Because some of these peasant Jews in Galilee, whom Jesus is talking to, they didn't know where their food was going to come from. And, and, and they were one disaster away, right? The breadwinner getting sick or having an accident from no longer being able to get daily food. It was a much different world. But in all of these worlds, right, whether it's today's world where there's food everywhere, we can get it really fast, whether it's in Jesus' world where food was a, a scarce commodity, it was something that really needed to be sought after and prayed for, and you really had to have faith that it would come that day so that you could eat and sustain your life. In all these worlds, we've been giving tools by God to develop our spirituality. Um, we call these spiritual disciplines. Um, and in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at Jesus' teachings on some of these spiritual disciplines. Um, so Jesus taught about giving to the poor. Um, and we have our back-to-school fundraiser right now. And this is one way that we at the church give back to those in our community in need. And so all our kiddos know school's coming up, whether you like it or not. Our teachers know the same thing. Uh, and it's, it's coming. But there are people who maybe don't have um, pencils and paper and backpacks and, and who will struggle when they get to go back to school and and, and Jesus has taught us, right, that when we give to those people, when we're nice to those people, when we love those people the way we'd like to be loved, um, we become more like Jesus. We become closer to God. We experience God's love for Jesus more ourselves. We become and experience and know what it's like to be the children of God, the sons and daughters of the Father. And Jesus talked about prayer. Prayer is another tool in our toolbox of how we are Christians, what brings us closer to God, how we can practice our faith. And when we pray, Michelle did a great job last week of talking about how it actually changes our brains themselves. It helps us to know God personally. The more time we spend in prayer, the more we pray with one another, the more often we pray, the closer we actually in real life feel and can feel the presence of God. The closer our relationship to God is, the more like Christ we are. And this morning, Jesus is going to talk about one more tool that goes in our toolbox. And it's probably one of the most least familiar 
um, tools that we use today, and it's fasting. Um, it's not eating food. It's skipping McDonald's for lunch, skipping McDonald's breakfast, all for the purpose of getting to be closer to God. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. He was a much better preacher than Pastor Mike is. And he gives this sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And we will pick it up in chapter 6, verse 16. Chapter 6, 16 through 18. Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, when we talk about fasting, when Jesus is talking about fasting here, this is one of the three things in Matthew 6 he's talking about, these tools in our toolbox. He'll move on to some different issues after this. Um, but he's talked about giving to the needy. He's talked about praying. And now he's talking about fasting. And the main point for all of these tools has been the same, which is if you use these not to grow closer to God, but just so that other people will pay attention to you and you can get applause or respect or admiration or a following, Jesus says, then it's worthless. That's all you'll ever get from it is applause or admiration or following. But if you use these tools just in front of God, if you are secret about it, if you don't use them in order to build yourself up, but just to obey, but just to love God, just to love others, then Jesus says the Father, his Father, will reward you. You'll get the best reward that you could ever imagine. And he said it about giving to the needy. He said it about praying. And now he's saying it about fasting, about abstaining from food. Now, when Jesus is talking, um, the people he's talking to, the Jewish people in the first century, they have a habit of practicing this discipline, this tool. They use it a lot, fasting. And what they would do, their custom, would be to fast twice a week. They would fast on Mondays and Wednesdays. And when the Jewish people fasted, um, we sometimes use the word fast to mean different things. Um, in this context, though, fasting is not just abstaining from something. Sometimes we say, like, we're going to fast from chocolate, right? That might be okay in a different context, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about giving up chocolate. Um, there's no reason God would ever ask us to do that, first of all. Um, he's not talking about giving up the internet. He's, he's talking about not eating, okay? This, this is what fasting here means. I'm not going to eat on purpose, voluntarily, as a tool, as a way for me to grow in my relationship with God. And they would do it, the Jews would do it twice a week on Monday and Wednesday. If you remember in the scripture reading at the beginning of service in Luke 18, the hypocrite, when he prays in the synagogue, he says, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like these other sinners. And he lists off all these things he does that are good. And one of the things he does is he says, I fast twice a week. But see, he's doing what Jesus is warning not to do. He's going into the synagogue and saying, look, I'm better than everybody else. I fast twice a week. And Jesus goes, okay, but that's all you're getting then. You get however much satisfaction that gave you in that moment to say that. 
But he's, he's talking about this regular practice that they do. Now, when the early Jews would fast, they're not doing anything heroic. Um, so don't think of like a super hard, impossible task to accomplish. The, the common fast would be to not eat from one dinner till another dinner, from an evening meal to an evening meal. So you're really only missing two meals, breakfast and lunch. Um, and they would do this twice a week. Um, and this is their kind of fasting um, practice. Now, we know that the early Christians continued this tradition. Um, so the early Christians continued to fast twice a week. Um, the same way we know that the early Christians prayed three times a day, like the Jewish people prayed three times a day in the early church. That same text, the Didache, tells us that they would fast. These early Christians would fast twice a week, just like the Jews used to. But they changed the day. Instead of fasting on Monday and Wednesday, um, or Monday and Thursday, excuse me, the, the early Christians would fast on Wednesday and Friday. And there were a few reasons for this. One was to separate themselves from the Jewish people. They were different group of people worshiping Jesus. Um, two, Good Friday probably had a lot to do with it. So there's a weekly rhythm for Christians. We do things in a rhythm every week in order to live into the life of Jesus, our Savior. And so on Friday, it's a little mini remembrance of what happened on Good Friday when Jesus died for our sins. And then the reason we come to church on Sunday is because it's a mini Easter. It's a little weekly anniversary when Jesus raised from the dead. And so they probably changed the fasting so that one of them would be on Friday as a way of remembering the sufferings um, that Jesus went through for them. Um, And then lastly, we think they probably changed the days they fasted because of this teaching. So here's what we know about the first century. Most of the time, most of the people who went to the market to go shopping did it on Monday and Thursday. So it might not have been an accident that the Jewish people decided to fast on Monday and Thursday. They might have been taking their cue from the Jewish leaders who would just so happen to be fasting on the days when everyone was out and about in public and they could receive attention for their fasting. And so Jesus says, don't gloom your face up. Don't disfigure your face so that you can be seen by other people. What's happening probably is everyone's at Target, right? And then there's that one person walking around like, I'm not eating that, I'm not eating that, I'm not eating that. And they look like they just woke up, they're disheveled. Okay, they look like they're hungry and they're in pain. And they want everyone to know, look, I'm fasting. I'm trying to grow closer to God. And when the early Christians kept up this practice, they said, hey, let's just pick different dates for it. Dates where the temptation will not even be there as fully as it was um, when Jesus was talking here. He says, don't look gloomy, right? Don't work yourself up into this state. Um, Apparently, the practice for some of these hypocrites was to kind of just get out of bed and go about your day. And so bed hair, right? They would let their beards get all tangled and nasty. They, They might put ashes on their face. They would make sure everyone knew they were suffering a lot. Like, hey, I didn't eat breakfast this morning, right? They'd have that grimace on their face. They might wear different clothes. And Jesus says, when you fast, he says, hey, put some stuff in your hair. Just wash your face, take a bath, put on some decent clothes. Um, this is what most scholars think Jesus means here, is try your best to look normal. Don't go out of your way to look like a slob, like you just woke up, like something terrible is happening to you. This is maybe the closest Jesus ever gets to what your parents may tell you on school day mornings. 
Get out of bed. Fix your hair. Go comb your hair. Take a bath. Take a shower. Put on some nice clothes. Don't look like you just woke up and are walking around. And the reason Jesus says this is because he says, if you do that, if you do this in order not to be seen by others, but just for you and for God, you'll really receive a true reward. You'll be blessed in ways that you could have never imagined. Now, there's no command ever from Jesus to fast. Um, We know that early Christians fasted. The Israelites fasted. There's lots of fasting in the Old Testament. If you look through the Bible, the people who fasted seem to be like a who's who of the Bible. So your big names in the Bible, a lot of the Bible characters that you know from famous stories, they were people who fasted. They were people who chose not to eat for certain periods of time in order to grow closer to God. Moses fasted. Elijah fasted. Daniel fasted. In fact, before Jesus says this teaching, he's fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. After Jesus teaches about fasting, there's not really much left in the New Testament about fasting. Um, but we do know this, and so we've got to walk a line careful here. There's no command in the New Testament to fast. Um, there's explicit assumptions that Jesus' followers will fast, but there's not actually like a command to fast, the same way we get commands to do other things. So Jesus does say, when you fast here, he doesn't say if you fast. He seems to be expecting his disciples to fast. Um, The other time we get Jesus really involved in a discussion about fasting is when him and his disciples get slammed for not fasting. This happens in Mark chapter 2, as well as other places in Matthew and Luke. Um, but we know that Jesus and his disciples did not always practice this two-day-a-week fast. And the Jewish leaders of the time got mad about this. They said, you think you're, you're a prophet of God? You think you're the Messiah? And yet you don't even fast? And Jesus' response is, if you remember the story, he says, now's not the time to fast. Fasting is a way to prepare yourself or react to a, a, a moment of grief. Fasting is a way to prepare or react to a sacred moment in your life. He says, right now is a time of feasting. He says, why? Because I'm here. He says, right now is the reception at the wedding. Right now is the party. Why would we be fasting? This is time for the feast. But he does say, there will be a time when my disciples will fast. And then it's this time where Jesus has gone back to the Father's right hand, and we await his second coming. And so while there's no command, there is seemingly this assumption that Christians, um, the followers of Jesus, will continue to use this tool uh, as a way of becoming closer to God. Um, Now we know that the church for a long time kept up this practice, and in in certain cases and in certain areas, it was taken to the extreme. People, People thought it did more maybe than it was supposed to do. People thought it was kind of like a magic trick, right? Like if I fast in a certain way or intense enough, God has to do something for me. I can manipulate God into to, to, to acting in a certain way. I can manipulate my circumstances in a certain way. Um, other people um, fasted to feel more righteous than other people. I'm a first-class Christian. I'm a varsity-level Christian because I fast in these type of ways. And so we know around the Middle Ages, a few hundred years ago, Fasting became kind of not as popular in Christianity. And over the past hundred years, a few hundred years, 
you've really only had a couple people here or there push for fasting to come back into the majority of Christians' day-to-day lives. Um, I don't know about your background personally, each of us in the room. I know my background as a Baptist growing up here in Sugarland, fasting was not part of what I understood the Christian faith to be. If it was taught about to me, I don't remember it. I don't remember ever practicing it. I don't remember ever trying it. Growing up, I heard the term fasting in two places, in the medical arena. So you have to fast before certain tests at the doctor's office. And then in the diet arena, you can fast, intermittent fasting. There's all these different types of of diets um, that you can choose to to do. Um, But it was not a big part of my upbringing in, in Christianity. Um, and you've had, again, like I said, different people at different times try to bring this back. Um, there's all types of strategies when it comes to fasting. Um, there's all types of ways to fast. Uh, again, the most typical is what we call, it's called a partial 24-hour fast, this evening-to-evening fast. Because technically you are fasting for 24 hours, but you're only missing, right, two out of three meals, and you're like sleeping. You got like one-third of the fast off. You get a good night's sleep there. Um, you can sleep off the beginning. Um, that seems to be the most common type of fast. Um, you have in the Old Testament and in the New Testament planned fast and spontaneous fast, just like with prayer. Sometimes we plan to pray, like at church, or maybe on our own we might plan to pray a few times a day, in the morning or at night or at every meal. There might be a plan to our prayers, but there are always times when we spontaneously pray. Something happens in the moment, and we say, hey, we just need to pray about this. The same seems to go for fasting. Um, for the Old Testament Israelites, the Day of Atonement, they would fast for to prepare themselves for the Day of Atonement, their celebration of God um, forgiving their sins and, and not letting the punishment of their sins fall on them, but fall on something else. As Christians, we have a prepared, planned fast around Lent when we get ready for Good Friday. Um, that's where we also give up certain things, abstain from things, maybe like chocolate or like the internet, things of that nature. Um, And they have these spontaneous fasts in the Old Testament when something bad happens. So you might fast because of an accident or sickness or something horrible, tragedy that's happened in your life. Or you might fast because of an injustice in the world around you. Or you might just fast as a way to pursue a closer relationship with the Lord. It seems to be, again, what happens in the New Testament and with these early Christians. There are planned and spontaneous fasts. I don't know what your experience might be with fasting. The first time I ever fasted was when I was 18 or 19 years old, and it was with a youth group, and it was called 30-Hour Famine. And it's with this organization called World Vision. Some of us are familiar with them. Um, They help needy all over the world. And they have this big thing, and it happens still today every year in a whole bunch of churches, where youth will come together and they'll stick together for 30 hours and they won't eat. And they'll fast together. And part of the reason for this fast is to realize that not everyone in our world gets to eat every day as much as we do. So it's a way of kind of understanding what other people go through. It's a way of expressing solidarity with them. Um, And it's a way of growing closer to the Lord. I can remember that first fast really clearly because we had extensive instructions about fasting. Um, If you know me, you know I follow all the rules and rarely get in trouble. 
Um, and so the rules were you're supposed to like slow down your eating before the fast. Don't gorge yourself right before. That makes it way worse. Um, and you're supposed to do it together. And so, of course, we're, we're sticking together, but we all got for a huge meal beforehand. Like the world's ending. We're scooping food up into our mouths. And we fast. And I had read, um, you know, the timeline about what happens to your body when you fast. Now, um, all of us in this room, except maybe, maybe if you're younger, if you're, if you're a student, if you're a kid, we all just about have enough energy in our bodies that fasting for a few days is not really a threat. It's not going to make us sick. We might not feel great about it, but we've got lots of fuel stored up and our bodies are okay. You can actually last a long time without food if you're an adult, if you're healthy and adult, um, because of the way your body works. Now, you can't go very long without water, which is important with fasting. Um, fasting does not usually mean that you're not drinking water, sometimes drinking other things. Um, your body can't go as long without water, so you want to drink a lot of water, and that helps with the fast. But I had read, like, at this hour, this is going to be when your body really starts, you know, attacking you, being like, this is now an emergency. You now need to go to McDonald's and get some food in here. We need some sugar rush. Um, and sure enough, just about at that exact hour, I was like, oh, no, this is really bad. This hurts. Now, again, right, the scientific literature would tell you that's not real hunger. That's your body kind of having tricked itself into believing, right, it needs these things. Your body is fully capable of getting you through that scenario. Again, usually for much longer than you think you'd be able to. Um, The real hunger that, say, people in other parts of the world experience would take us a couple weeks at the very minimum to get close to. Uh, without eating, to feel that real hunger pain, where your body, like an Iron Man suit, goes, we're now at 80%. There's no more fuel left. We're now at 60%. Like, sending warnings to your, your brain and making you crave food. Like, you need energy. You need fuel. It takes us a while to get there. It takes our friends in other parts of the world not as quick, because they don't have as much food as, as we do. But sure enough, it hit, that craving hit. And then, sure enough, like we were told, it went away. And after that, the whole rest of the famine was, was pretty easy. The fast is pretty easy. You're, once your body accepts, right, that first, it's kind of like running. I don't know. I know we've got a lot of athletic people in here. When I run, there's a point in which it's maybe like 30 seconds into the run <laughs> where I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. This hurts my feet. It hurts my legs. It's not my idea of a good time. And I can, and there's this urge to quit, right? It's like, stop, you're running out of breath. This is not going to work for you. Now, if I'm by myself, I stop, I go home and watch TV. If I'm with other people, just because I have an ego, I'll keep running. And this is why guys have to run together, right? It's the only reason we keep going. It's because I'll keep running as long as you're running. Um, but if I go past that threshold point, my body gets used to it. Does that make sense? All of a sudden now, it's not that hard the whole time. I'm like, okay, I got my breath back. Okay, my legs will hurt, but I'm fine. I can keep running. It's like that kind of with fasting. Your body hits you once, and then it kind of goes away. And it's like, okay, we're fine for the time being. The other instructions were don't eat a big meal afterwards either. Ease yourself back into the life of food because your stomach has shrunk. It's remarkable how quickly your stomach will shrink. And so, of course, as a very responsible youth pastor, I made sure that we had reservations to go eat a huge meal at uh, the end of the 30 hours, and we did, and we all got violently sick. 
Um, it is very much true that if you fast, your stomach does shrink. It's pretty remarkable how, how the body works that way. Um, a handful of years ago, I lost a little bit of weight over about a six, eight-month period. Um, and it was, it was a pretty quick drop in a short amount of time. And I experienced this over about like eight months. Um, so I was really strict for a few months, lost some weight. And then I went back to a restaurant and ordered a meal that I would have downed in like five minutes eight months ago, right? And had a third of it and was like sick to my stomach. It's like I can't possibly eat anymore. And it was amazing how, how just being strict and having these disciplines changed my very body, changed, changed my stomach. Um, so that was my first experience with the fast. When I, when I did that fast, and I don't know, again, if you've ever fasted before, I experienced a lot of things during that fast. I experienced community with the people around me. Um, it was important for that program to fast together. I think like most things in the Christian life, it's easier to pray together. It's easier to um, right, follow Jesus together with encouragement and, and challenge and friendship. Um, it's easier to fast together, um, not just sit at your home all alone with temptation all around you, right? Um, it shows you some of the things that are inside of you that maybe you didn't know were inside of you emotions or feelings or thoughts. If you've ever just accidentally missed a meal, this has maybe happened accidentally to you. (laughs) And you explode on someone. And then later you have a meal, Snickers. And you're like, wow, I did not, I really wasn't that angry at you. I'm sorry about that. But there's like this like angry person inside of me that just exploded as soon as I was hungry. It reveals a lot about your character. It reveals a lot about your ability to endure. And something about about fasting also reveals a lot about our faith. And it grows our faith. It's like exercising our faith. Because again, we live in a world where we never really have to have faith about food. We never have to have faith about like the very basic survival blocks of living. And that means we have little exercise. We're really out of shape when it comes to trusting God with big things. We trust God with things that are more idealistic and and theoretical. Like the job I want to get or the friends that I want to make. But it's a much different thing than to trust God for food. Trust God with your hunger, with your stomach. that exercises that muscle of faith that you have. Um, It's important though to realize, and the scriptures here when Jesus is talking, there are no promises given with fasting. Um, This is one of, I think, one of the ways fasting has been manipulated to serve a different agenda. Um, oftentimes, you might hear fasting um, still being used as a way of kind of getting God to do something. And so we, we bunker down and fast, almost like a hunger strike to God. Like, look, we will not eat until you build this building for us, or you solve this problem, you do this or you do that. That's, that actual, that view of fasting, instrumental view, like fasting is a means to an end, It's not really in the Bible. Um, There's a couple places where maybe you can see that, um, but really probably you're conflating a couple things that are mentioned together. Um, So you pray and fast at the same time, and then God responds. God's probably responding in those texts more to the praying than to the fasting. Just what happens, you pray more when you are fasting because you have more time, less energy. You need to pray more to get through that. Fasting is never really presented in the scripture as a means to an end, as a way to get something for yourself or from God 
It definitely does do that. I just mentioned a few things that fasting will reveal or will bless you with. But it's really just a tool. It's interesting because all religions, actually, most religions in the world, most ancient religions had some form of some sort of uh, some sort of fasting, just like prayer, meditation. This has always kind of been seen as a, a way that perhaps we can become closer to what we're worshiping, that we can exercise our faith and our relationship in the person we trust for our lives, in the person we trust for our eternal life. We can experience it a little bit more compressed, a little bit more closely right now. And so as we, we wrap up this section in the Sermon on the Mount about practicing our righteousness just before the Father, not before other people, I just ask you to think a little bit about fasting. What has been your experiencing experience with fasting? Have you ever fasted? What, what, were you taught about it? What did you think about it growing up? If and when you've fasted, what did you experience? What were the pros about it or the cons about it? And then think through what might it mean to add this tool to your toolbox? Um, these spiritual disciplines, these, these things we can regularly practice that will bring us closer to God, that exercise our faith muscles, I think are often grossly ignored. So people will go, I don't feel close to God. And you go, well, what, what are you, what, 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 what's going on in your life? What are you doing? And like, well, it's just everything's really bad right now. I'm not doing anything. Like, well, are you praying? No, I don't feel close to God, so I'm not praying. I'm like, well, maybe it'll work the other way. Like, maybe you just start praying, you'll start feeling closer to God. Michelle showed through science last week that that's actually how our brains actually work. If you do it, it happens. Even atheists who pray report feeling closer to some sort of a God because they've spent that time exercising that muscle. Maybe it's the same with fasting. Maybe this is a tool that some of us don't use or have never used. And maybe it's a tool that maybe we should try. Maybe we can read about. Maybe we can learn about. Maybe it's a tool that actually could be really helpful for us in our walk with Christ and our ability to be like Christ, uh, to know him, to know the Father. Um, and so with all of our tools, with all the things we do as Christians, we want to be careful because Jesus says, beware, be, be very careful of practicing things, of doing things just to be seen by other people. Instead, he says, do them for one reason only. Do them for God. Do them not in the sight of other people, do it in God's sight. Do it not for any benefit of your own, but do it for the reward that your Father will give you. And so we, we give to the needy with joy, and we pray with fervor, intensity, and then we, we fast. Not all the time. There's no hard, fast rules for fasting. I'm not going to give anyone a template here to go fast. We have given suggestions about praying. Set an alarm this week. Three times a day, go and pray. I'm not going to do that with fasting. It's a, I think it's a little bit more individualized for your family or your situation. There are certain, I think, situations in life where fasting is not advisable for you. Someone's pregnant or they're, they're not feeling good. They have some sort of disease, right? I, I just don't think maybe that's the right case for them. Um, but maybe it is a tool that you started to explore. Every now and then as a church, we'll call the church to fast together. Um, maybe next time we do that, maybe you participate. Or maybe you participate and dig in 
a little bit harder, a little bit firmer than you have in the past. Um, and so um, this morning we are grateful, and I invite you to be grateful for all of the love that God has given us. And then I invite you to be faithful with the different tools and options we have to express our faith and to practice our faith, realizing that giving up food is actually not giving up something as much as it is gaining something, whether it be a closeness to God, whether it be a more Christ-like character. Um, I was once told, and it stuck with me forever and will end like this, you'll never give up anything for God that won't be replaced a thousand times more. Whether in this life, in the afterlife, You'll never, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a, a portion of your time, whether it's a meal, you'll never sacrifice something for God and ultimately regret it. And be like, man, I wish I was more selfish. Man, I wish I would have just done that for myself. At the end of all things, looking back over your entire life, you'll see every sacrifice replaced with infinitely greater joy and love and peace from the Father who is himself joy and love and peace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for your teachings, the teachings of your Son, who who not only taught us but modeled for us what it means to to be your children. Um, I, I pray that you would help us be faithful, that you would give us um, the strength that comes through the um, Spirit's dwelling inside of us. I pray that you would allow us to continue to build a community among one another um, so that we might be equipped to encourage each other, to help each other, be more faithful to you, find more life in you. And I pray that in all things, we would do them only in your sight, only to be seen by you, only to come closer to you, not to show off in front of other people, not to give a performance, not to gain attention for ourselves, but simply to find the one who promises life and joy and peace, the one who is himself pure love, the greatest love that we'll ever find, that we'll ever experience, that we'll ever enjoy. And it's in the name of the triune God, the one who is love, the Father, and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that all of God's children this morning prayed, saying, Amen.